Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. When Sarah returned home from her extended Aussie rite of passage working holiday adventure, people warned her it could take her two years to feel comfortable again in her own hometown. Doubtful that this would apply to her, she thought to herself, she'll be right. After all, it's my decision to come home after 10 years in London, and I've thought long and hard about this decision. As someone who works in the world of change, Sarah knows only too well the roller coaster of emotions that change can bring. Six weeks after returning home, she called a friend and realised she was in the denial phase of the change curve. And while she did eventually move on to the stages of excitement, hope and integration, it wasn't without several moments of wondering if she had in fact done the right thing. Now having hit the two-year mark on her London departure, Sarah finally feels home and acknowledges that even if the idea of coming home is yours, the reverse culture shock and the length of transition can catch you by surprise. I am really keen to chat with this change manager today about what went into her own change plan and how she navigated the curve that most of us know only too well. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Margot. Where are we chatting with you today? From Sydney. From Sydney, yeah. And actually, I'm in Sydney uh, this time. It's a shame we couldn't actually meet up, but um, right city, just uh, couldn't get the logistics there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, before we dive into your international life, can you take us back to what life looked like pre-London? You know, what were the early influences, I guess, that shaped the uh, the notion of life abroad and, and how that unfolded? Sure. So I was actually born um, and bred here in Australia, so I did a lot of my growing up and my childhood here, actually in Sydney. Um, So when I had um, finished my education, I actually joined CBA. That was my first um, career, if you like, my first corporate career. And whilst I was there for about five years, I didn't really do too much travelling growing up. Um, However, I can see that there were definitely um, seeds being planted in me for a life abroad. So uh, my parents had actually done quite a bit of travelling prior to them settling in in Sydney in Australia. Um, They were diplomats, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, spot on. So they had seen a lot of the world themselves and they definitely did encourage us kids to kind of go out there and they realised the benefits Mm. that come with with travelling and that exposure as well. Seeds were being planted there and, you know, my mother and I actually used to watch a travel show <laughs> many yeah. years ago. Yeah, we used to actually watch Getaway, like almost religiously. Ah. <laughs> with good old Katrina Roundtree. That's the one. <laughs> but I, I do remember, you know, watching that with my mum and seeing these places that, you know, at the time they just looked so incredibly exotic. Mm. And I think that too was also, you know, making a mark and planting seeds within me to to kind of go overseas um, and then I did get that opportunity. I actually went to uh, visit my elder sister who was doing her own 
two-year stint in the UK um, and that's when I did my first European trip overseas and that was that was when I came back and knew that I was going to eventually. So you come back from that holiday and you think, okay, this is my turn now. Yeah. So um, when you left, how long did you think you were going for? The infamous two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the working holiday visa. Yeah. At what point did you think it might become longer? Was that fairly early on or did you did you sort of get to the end of the two years and just go, no, actually I'm going to stay now? So, Yeah, I think it was more the latter, so towards the end of the two years. Um, and by that time I'd actually done quite a bit of travelling um, and was doing it very frequently as well. So I just wasn't ready to return home just and I guess having a sister to go to or a sense of family to go to softens the landing, I'm sure. You wouldn't have had that whole let's live in a share house of 25 Aussies and Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I definitely knew people who did, um, so I could sympathise and know. Yeah, and you could wave them goodbye at the end of the night and say, I'm going home to my lovely house, thank That's you. Right. <laughs> Where in London were you living? Um, Southwest, so Putney, um, oh, like south of the yeah, south of the river. So, yeah, yeah, good spot, good spot, yeah. And so you clearly um, enjoyed both life and career um, there to stay ten years. Can you just sort of take us through how your career unfolded? I guess initially, um, and what ultimately was the catalyst for you thinking this is a great opportunity and staying. Yeah, so my the career was actually the really interesting one. I, I really feel like my career did develop and it really was mm-hmm. growing and blossoming over there. Um, and I think a lot of that um, was partly due to the fact that, you know, London is such um, a big central business hub, one of the biggest ones in the world, right? So there's, there's lots of big companies, um, different industries, and I guess with all of that comes, you know, varied opportunities. And so... Um, I was fortunate enough to be actually be working for a couple of global organisations where, you know, opportunities were, were popping up and I was able to, to slot right into that. Um, I also got sponsorship as well whilst I was yeah, that was really Was it always in the world of change? Like is that where you commenced your career? Pretty much, pretty much. So I've been in the change space for a number of years um, and, again, it was it was really helpful to be able to be doing change management in different industries as well because, you know, change management, we have a lot of transferable skills, but as you do it in different industries, it, it builds up your knowledge base and experience as well. So what industries were you working in? I mean, you came from banking in Australia, CBA. Correct. Did you enter in banking over there or was it? Yeah, yeah. That was the first sort of stepping stone role in the UK. So I started off in, in consulting but still consulting within financial services. So did that for a bit and then moved into completely different um, energy, so oil and gas industry for a number mm-hmm. of years. Um, and then from there I went into the legal industry. So, again, chopping into something different. And so, I mean, careers are only one part of what anchors us. I think sometimes we do definitely find a sense of purpose in that for staying, but life can't have been too bad in London <laughs> to, for you to stay. What was it that you loved and enjoyed about life overseas? Oh, Wow. I think the two things that probably spring to mind um, to go on about it again is probably the travel aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're there, it's it's really not uncommon to hop on a plane and, and you're going to a different country and you do that quite frequently given it's really affordable, it's really cheap to be able to travel around. And, you know, I, I remember there was one stage we were kind of doing trips at once a month and we even did, 
you know, for 10 pounds, we were on a flight to, we did a weekend in Dublin kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I remember we had um, New Year's, I think it was in Berlin, and we paid like £9.99 for the flight. And I don't know, whatever it was, but it came to the total of £11 for a New Year's Eve. We did nearly freeze to death being Berlin and New Year's, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. this is just crazy, these opportunities. So so you you got to play your own Katrina Roundtree role, I guess, and you, and you saw lots of the work which was wonderful and day-to-day life in London I mean were there new things that you discovered there or that you found yourself being immersed in that you really enjoyed yeah I think the social scene um as well was really fantastic and I'm sure you can um resonate with you as well but you know it is such a vibrant hub and a place to be um and regardless of the day of the week just people are just out and about you can imagine when it's summer, you kind of struggle to find a, a spot on the grass because there's so many people outside. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> taking that moment of sunshine. So um, after 10 years, though, you know, you've had this lovely social life, world of travel, great career opportunities. Yeah. You do think that Australia might be calling. What was it that prompted that return or what was it that started to spark the thoughts that, you know, it might have been back here that you wanted to build life? Yeah, and I... It's a great question, you know, because with all that I've said about the opportunities and the travel and the social that came with that, I think deep in my heart, I always did know and I always did call Australia home. Growing up here, having a lot of my family and friends also still being here. And um, and so I knew that eventually that day would come where I would be relocating back. I just wasn't too clear at the start, especially when that day would be. I didn't really realise that it'd be ten years later on. So I, I would come back frequently every couple of years and visit the family and visit friends. And I think with each time that I was leaving and returning back, it was increasingly becoming a bit difficult to say those goodbyes. I knew the departure was imminent. <laughs> yeah, and and you were very fortunate in the sense that you managed to negotiate a relocation with your employer, which I think was Ashurst at the time, the legal firm. Yeah. How did you set that up, or how did that un- how did that come to be for you? Yeah, so it was actually like amazing opportunity, and that I was working, I was part of a, a massive global transformation program they were going through at the time, and mm-hmm. that meant that in my current role, in my role, sorry, um, in the London office, I was working with people that were based here in the Sydney offices as well. So I had, uh, yeah, I had those relationships established, um, and they knew who I were. And so when I was speaking to my London employer, my boss at the time. And explaining about my, my intentions to relocate back, um, she said, look, you're already involved in this program and we have an office in Sydney. Happy for you to stop right in there. And, and so things just kind of progress from there. Oh, that's amazing because I think, you know, look, returning home with a role is is just so super helpful. Um, it doesn't take away, though, the challenges of um, repatriation or eliminate them. How did you find that first sort of, you know, month, six months, a year when you first were first home? Yeah, look, it was really difficult. I did find it really challenging and I, and I think a lot of that was because I was having to transition I was having to readjust back to an environment that you know I'd been away from for so long for 10 years and you know I being overseas it really really did open up my eyes and it really just changed who I was and so I was coming back a different person yeah yeah and probably thought you know it'll be easy I'm slotting back to a place where I was born Mm -hmm. and bred so how high could it be right 
Mm. Were you familiar with the term um, reverse culture shock or was that something that you only came to learn about afterwards? Absolutely had to go through it and then I became familiar with it. Yeah, because I think just so many of us aren't aware that that is A, a term and it's something that people speak really quite openly of once they've actually been through this transition. But before we embark upon it the first time, we actually really don't understand what that's all about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that could help lessen that sort of shock or that return back is being more aware of it. If that's something I could we do it be probably be a bit more have a bit more awareness around what it is so I could just be better prepared for it yeah I think one of the challenges is when you're going through it is you often feel like you're the only one because you haven't heard the term before and so it can be really isolating is that something you would relate to 100% yeah and um, yeah I remember when I was going through it it was actually I became aware of it because a family member um, had actually sent me an article on it and then I was, Ah. yeah, so I was reading through the article and going through it going, oh, okay, that makes sense and, yes, I can resonate with that and, oh, gosh, that yes, I'm displaying that as well and it was so refreshing and helpful because I was able to now identify and pinpoint it. It was no thinking it's just me. (laughs) Well, it normalises it, doesn't it? It normalises the, the feelings, so which I think is really important. Yeah. Um, now, for those who don't know the change curve that we referred to in, in your intro, it is a popular model that is often referred to to describe, I guess, the stages of personal transition in the context of organisational change. Can you describe the moment where um, you were in the midst of your own personal change curve or where you realised you were and when you had to make that call to a friend? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I did. I think the, the first couple of weeks coming back, I had, um, I was, I'd probably call it a bit of a honeymoon stage in that I actually left the UK, you know, smack bang in their winter. So that means I was returning into our Australian summer. Um, so a lot of those initial weeks were spent at the beach, just outdoors, socialising, just savouring every moment of, of being back. And I, I was, I hadn't yet started my role either. So it was still very much a holiday feeling. But then I think over time as I you know, I started getting back into full-time work and a routine started to sort of develop, I think, the realities of of life back in Australia and then, you know, reverse culture shock starting to really seep in um, mm. when I kind of had that light bulb moment. And so I um, I contacted a friend of mine um, here who he's been a great sounding board during my transition and I, I remember saying to him, I remember it so, so vividly saying to him, oh, my gosh, what have I done in, in relocating back? Have I made the right decision and his response was oh wow Sarah I'm surprised it actually is taking you so long so (laughs) (laughs) he was waiting (laughs) exactly yeah yeah and I think like we um, often talk about the elements of um, transitioning home and and you know there's very much the logistics of you know you've got to get yourself home and the dog home or the you know whatever it might be the you know the boxes find the house all that sort of stuff then there's the work transition and then there's I guess the the life transition, the well-being transition, yeah. were there elements in each or were there one, there's one particular area that really stood out for you? It's probably the the personal transition I think is the one that stood out is just by nature I'm quite a, a planner and um, organised person so I had my detailed Excel spreadsheets and schedules and the logistics was very well nailed down um, and so I knew 
things were happening. It's as you say, that was predominantly where my focus was, um, realising there's this personal transition that I'm going to have to go through, even though it's a place I was born and bred, it's still going to be different when I get back. And that, a lot of that's changed as well. So, Yeah, 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 great. Um, I mean, well, you know, I think it's funny how two people identify with that number of two years. You know, it just seems to be that it does take that long. And that was certainly the case for you, wasn't it, you know? I mean, and I think we had a conversation and you said to me, oh, Margot, I am now hitting that two years and I I think think I'm good, you know? (laughs) And what, what, what were the elements that made you feel that? Like what had happened here in Sydney that made you think, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm back, I'm good, I'm cemented here for now? Yeah, I think it was um, feeling like more settled and then I've got real roots here. I think, you know, when you're coming back, you are going through, or I was anyway, you're going through so much change in your environment, in your friends that you're networking here, whether they're old, you know, friends from old or new friends that you're meeting. There's that career transition you know, so there's just a lot of things going on. And then when you feel like um, you feel a bit grounded and you feel like things, okay, okay, you, you're more in a sort of routine is when you just really feel more settled. I felt more settled. And I think also just not being able to connect with people who have experienced a similar journey has been really refreshing to to know that it's a transition and it is a journey. It's not forever. I'm interested in the um, in the business side of transition too because whilst you came home with a role, you'd actually been out of Australia in for 10 years and the workplace here is different, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. How I, And I often think actually one of the biggest things that people who've come back from the UK is, is it's a bit like, oh, it's kind of the same. It's not, you know, we haven't returned from Mongolia. We've returned from the UK. How did you find the world of business and the world of the way organisations ran here comparatively? And were there nuances you had to navigate? I think that I, I, I think the big thing that I found coming back was the size of the market is what I found quite yeah, difficult to kind of grasp. As I said, like over in the UK, it's a, it's a hub and it's global. I was in global roles, it's global organisations and it's quite common for that to be as well. Um, and I think mm. to, to Sydney and the size of the market here, especially in the change space, it's a lot smaller. Um, everybody kind of knows who's who in, in the industry anyway, in the change space um, here in Sydney. So that I found was something to adjust because I'd been gone for so long. I didn't really have any contacts that I could just yeah. tap into. I had to sort of reestablish all of that in the business world back. Um, and I also found um, because there wasn't so many people, it was a smaller market, the competition also is, is a bit more reduced as well to match that. Mm. And I think that um, that's a real, really key piece because it's like how do I localize my global experience you know how do I keep it relevant for people here and it's yes. learning how to tell your story isn't it yeah in yes. in that market yeah how did you rebuild your networks did you go did you have a bit of a strategy around that or did you did you go to um, I suppose industry groups or um, professional groups what was your take on that yeah so I had because I knew a lot obviously living in Putney in London I had a lot of Australian friends over there um, as well so there were there's two that spring to mind that actually got me in contact with people they knew here in the Sydney market and said look I've got this friend her name's Sarah she's returning back um could you have a chat with her and just help her um just navigate 
um, mm-hmm. which was so helpful. People were extremely just open. And when I landed, I met with, I had chats and coffee with a number of people here in Sydney in different organisations. They were just open and willing to have a conversation with me and sort of say, look, I'll keep you in mind. If anything springs up, I'll let you know as well. So that was really helpful. Excellent, yeah. Sometimes we just have to be bold enough to ask, don't we? Exactly Exactly right. Yeah. And now you've actually also changed roles since you've been home, and I, I think it's not uncommon for those who return to make a change a year or 18 months later. How did that unfold for you? Yeah, sure. So I was at that law firm at the time, so I was working out of the Sydney office. Um, mm-hmm. However, it was, as I said, it was a big global transformation program. So we were required to sort of work, you know, in time zones outside of the Australian time zones. So um, because of everything that was happening um, when I had come back, I just was no longer able to commit that sort of time to that what that role actually needed. Um, and so again, I discussed that with my manager here in Sydney and then um, decided to look for something a bit more local or a national sort of role. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because we move back or many of us move back for lifestyle reasons. So yes. if we move back for a lifestyle reason and then we're on calls, you know, like <laughs> or at tail ends of the day, it, re- yeah. it really impairs or um, slows down our ability to transition because all of a sudden socially we can't network or, you know, we can't do those things. So, yeah, no, I understand that. So you you did return largely for family and for lifestyle. Has it all been all that you were hoping for? That I've come through that two-year period, yeah. It absolutely has. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And so two years, though, I mean, I know we keep coming back to that number, but it can feel quite daunting, especially if you're sitting overseas at the moment going, oh, my gosh, two years, is that how long it's going to take me? (laughs) Um, Do you think that there is anything that Australians returning can do to speed it up or make it easier? Or do you think it's just something you've got to go through? Yeah, look, I, I think it, it probably vary the, the time frame that it'll take for people in returning, whether that's two years, six months or five years. Look, it'll probably vary for each individual. And um, for me, I definitely just had to write it out in terms of coming back and it just happened to take two years. But equally, I've, I've been away for 10, so I've been away for quite a substantial amount of time. So I think coming back, um, being aware of what you're potentially walking into and that transition you may need to go through, whatever that period is, and then just making sure you're supported and connected would really help, I guess, reduce the impact. Yeah, fantastic. And I do, I think you touch on a really important point there that it really does um, depend on the phase of life that you're in, you know, yeah. and, and how long you've been away. I mean, you had the bulk of your career building Um, time overseas Um, and for those who've been in the market for 10 or 15 years here and haven't gone overseas all of a sudden making that next level of transition can be tricky anyway so I think it's really about like thinking about where am I at um, personally and career to make that transition because it can become another layer can't it yeah yeah so the Aussie rite of passage is something that, you know, up until the days of COVID was something that so many of us did. Is it something that you say is worth it? A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so despite the challenges of coming back, you don't regret a thing. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I could see myself doing it again Have we, if we could turn back time. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So, Sarah, we do close all of our um, our interviews or chats with, with five rapid-fire questions, so I'd love to put those to you now. So, living overseas opened my eyes too? 
the world. And by that, I mean being physically closer to things made things also feel a lot more real, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's almost like it becomes smaller, isn't it? We're more connected, yeah. Expats are good for? Great conversations and stories. Excellent. They've got great stories to tell. Yeah. The best thing I have discovered since arriving home? Oh, okay. I'm only going to say this because I've lived in London, but the best thing would be the consistent sunshine that I get here in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. We do take it for granted, don't we? Yeah. Um, The first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is? Would be to get connected um, and get connected to a group of people who who just get it, who have got similar experiences and be able to support you through it. So, yeah, getting connected is key. And I do think that people who've lived the experience are generous in helping others uh, overcome their challenges or introduce them to the people they need to be connected to. <laughs> understand what you're going through, yeah. Yeah. Uh, A word, song or quote that best describes my time overseas is? I've got a quote um, and this quote's from Laura Vodosky. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. But I heard this quote and it is that travel opens your heart, it broadens your mind and it fills your life with stories to tell. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, look, Sarah, you've been really generous with your time and I've loved our chat, so thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Margot. It's been great. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.